Welcome to DJ Grandpa's Crib, the crowdfunding podcast. Each week, I interview real people with honest dreams. Today is Monday, May 5th, 2014. And during this week in history, in 1933, the godfather of soul, James Brown, was born. Dude, happy birthday. Enrique, welcome to the crib. You got a really cool looking game there. Pop-up dragon, man. Now Dungeon, dungeon. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Pop-up dungeon. Sorry about that. Pop-up dragon, that's a cool name too, but no, pop-up dungeon. Yes. That's correct. And like a pop-up book and then this dungeon. Is there a special meaning behind it? Kind of like with those boxy characters that you have in the game? Originally, it was going to be sort of in a pop-up book style. Right. But uh, just the mechanics of that didn't quite work out as well as we would have liked. So we decided to go with, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's called Papercraft. And basically, Papercraft is just people who 3D model things in actual physical paper in the real world. So we've sort of gone backwards and taken the paper craft models and made them back into three dimensional models. It looks original to me, even though you said it was, you know, kind of going back in time, a little bit artistic style and stuff. Borrowing from a lot of different places, you know, so, sort of like board games and right. and pop books and all that. How do you get into games when you say like limitless possibilities, limitless, you know, uh -huh. being able to change features? I mean, how, how do you even count to where you get into that realm when you can just advertise it as limitless. There's two things that are going on here. One of them is a procedural generation, right? Oh. And procedural means made by the computer. So like the computer can create from a series of instructions, billions of different possible dungeon layouts. That's a lot of possibilities there. But <laughs> when you introduce the capacity to create your own characters, your own abilities, your own weapons, then technically it becomes limitless. I mean, it's just limited by as, as many things as players will ever create. It's limited only by your imagination. Basically, yeah. It's just yeah. limited by your imagination. Like if somebody wanted to play it, how would you describe it? Well, it's a lot like another game that's called Final Fantasy Tactics, which basically means that you've got a group, you know, usually like five characters, and it's a tactical turn-based RPG. Right. Each one of your characters goes in turn, and you perform an ability, you move around, you do whatever it is that you're going to do, then it'll be the enemy's turn, and then it's back to you. Now, the biggest difference between our game and something like Final Fantasy Tactics or Tactics Ogre, that sort of thing, is that it's also a dungeon crawler. So you're going through a dungeon, and when you encounter an enemy, that's where you go into this tactical sort of combat. Other than that, you're exploring the dungeon sort of freely, just walking from room to room, opening up treasure chests, that kind of thing. It looks like you have fireballs, too. You can have like a multitude of weapons. That's kind of the idea is to allow players to create any ability they can imagine. So we're going to have a whole library of visual effects. 
and graphics and things like this for you to use. But then we have an ability creation system that lets you put in pretty much any effect that you can imagine in any of these kind of tactical turn-based RPGs. You can create your own kind of fireball. You know, it can be a magical fireball. It can be like a flamethrower. Uh, right. You could use a gun or whatever, you know, whatever you can come up with. If you give people like limitless possibilities, you know, as, as far as the minds I can see, do you ever worry about that it's like too much? Like, you know, like their heads would explode or something. <laughs> right. So, yeah, actually, we, we were worried about that. So uh, what we decided to do was, you know, create a whole bunch of characters that already have all their abilities made and everything that are kind of easy to step into. So if you just want to play a warrior or a wizard or a space marine or even an Internet troll or something like that, you can just step right into the character and use the abilities that we've already made for you. Then you can modify those abilities or you can come up with your own. I keep hearing over and over about the video game industry being bigger than the movie industry. Did you ever think that was going to happen or did you always know it was going to happen? Well, I can't say that I knew it was going to happen. I mean, I've always liked video games ever since I was a young boy, even more than movies. And I like movies. But it's just because it involves you. You know, you, you spend more time with a video game. I can go out and buy... Or I can say that you know my favorite video game has probably taken up thousands of hours, whereas my favorite movie, even if I watch it a hundred times, we're still not anywhere close to that. You know, it's it's all about engaging your audience. Right. You know, there's been that whole debate of whether video games are art or not, and I've always thought that it's kind of nice because it's an art form that you create with your audience. How long have you been in this industry, man, of video games and stuff? My brother and I started in college about six years ago. We were still in college, both of us working part-time and sometimes full-time jobs. We've only made one game before this. It's called Ring Runner, Flight of the Sages, and it's a right. completely different type of game. It's a space shooter RPG, and that game took us five years to make. Wow. So if we would have finished the game when we wanted to in like two years, I think it would have been very different. The indie game scene was very different back then. We might not even be needing to run another Kickstarter. But because it took us that long, the game was not irrelevant when it came out, but it was just sort of out of date when it came out. Oh. And that's what we're trying to avoid with Pop-Up Dungeon with this Kickstarter. That's why we're asking for enough money to be able to devote ourselves full time, you know, no part time jobs or anything to get this done as fast as possible and keep it relevant. Like if I've done you an injustice and I haven't really asked you good questions, you know, like, and you're saying I really don't get it, you know, I don't, I don't get the pop-up dungeon. I'm not getting the game. What should I ask you? What would you like to add? I think the strongest point of the game is the fact that, you know, you can create all of these things. You can create a character. You can create an enemy. You can create weapons, Man. abilities, all that. Celebrities. You could create celebrities. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, we've already got a few like minor sort of web celebrities that we're big fans of, like Day9 and other YouTubers that okay. are actually going to be in the game. And we have other cameo characters from other indie games, like very big ones, like Binding of Isaac, you know, Guacamelee, all, all these other big indie games that have been nice enough to let us use their characters as cameo characters, which are free and included in the game. When I talk to board gamers a lot of times, I'm always asking, is this game any fun? But I don't even know how. It seems like video games are so different from board games. It seems harder to ask that question, and I don't know why yet. Well, this game is, I tout it often as a digital board game. And here's the way it works, right? So like the origin of the story behind it is that we're playing these pen and paper games like Dungeons right. and Dragons. 
And we wanted to come up with any ability that we could think of. And after just, just a couple of little permutations of even one ability, you find out, oh, you need complicated math to actually balance these things. Otherwise, one player gets really strong, the other one's weak, and, and they don't like that. So right. in order to get that to happen, we had to get computers involved, right? Other than that, we're just kind of sitting there with a calculator half the time. That's no fun. So we decided that we are going to create an actual game for it. And so this is kind of the direction that we began with. And then we took it a little bit more towards the dungeon crawler roguelike, because that's the sort of board games that we were playing, Castle Ravenloft, Heroes Quest, these games that are basically just simulated dungeon crawls. Okay. So you can have just a tablet or a, or a laptop or something and pass it around just like if it were a board game. Everyone's taking a turn. And we even have the dungeon master mode so that you can kind of barter with someone for power. You know, you can say, hey, I, I take this shield off the rack and I block the fireball that's coming. You right. do things that you normally couldn't do. And for anyone out there, I'm thinking this is a pretty cool dungeon crawler of a game. I think you should check it out on Kickstarter. It's called Pop-Up Dungeon. It's by Ring Runner. And if you can't find it there, always go to djgrandpa.com where we keep links for the coolest games that I can find on Kickstarter. And I'd say in crowdfunding, period. Enrique, thank you very much for coming on the show, man. And tell your team I wish them the best. Thank you so much. Hi. I'm Matt Abbott, creator of the card game Armada. Armada is a completely original idea, the multiple deck deck building game. Each player controls an armada of ships, each ship has its own hand, each ship has its own deck, each ship has its own hull. If a ship's hull reaches zero, it is destroyed. Out of ships, out of the game. How's it going, Matthew? How you holding up? You know, I'm doing fine, man. How you doing, man? Oh, yeah, I'm surviving. Kickstarter thing's pretty fun, though. It's, uh... Pretty cool meeting all these people. Serious? It's doing okay for you? Really liking it? The community aspect and all? It's my first time launching a thing on Kickstarter. I've backed them before, but I don't know. I like the people in the community. I like getting to meet them. It's, that's yeah. one of the fun parts. You're out of Fredericksburg, Maryland, right? Yeah, yeah. Up in Frederick, Maryland, right up the top of 270. Dude, those are awesome. Incredibly designed space-age cards, man. I mean, it's like simplicity and complexity all at the same time. I love how they turned out. I did all the like text and the game design, the balance, the business right. end of it, the graphic design and the layouts. All my wife, she's the guru with the the web and the graphic design and stuff. Dude, what's this game about, man? The game itself, uh, the big mechanic innovation is multiple deck deck building. Right. So you're playing this whole fleet of starships, and each of the starships is its own deck. So. You've got your cruiser over here, and it's a deck, and it's got its own hand, and you're playing the lasers, that one's firing. And then over on the other area of the table, you got your frigate, and that's a smaller ship, and it'll have smaller size weapons. It'll maybe play some shields. So each player is controlling a, a fleet of these ships, and each of these ships has its own deck. Each of these ships has its own hand. Uh, each of these ships has its own health. And the objective is to destroy each other's ships because they're uh, in a sci-fi setting where people are locked in a conflict over scarce resources. Are there any hyper drives, any FDL drives I could spool up to get out of here if, you know, if it gets too hot or something, I'm getting hammered by the opponent? In this game and in the world setting, we use real physics for the backdrop. Right. So the ships are never able to travel faster than 50% light speed, and the communications are never able to travel faster than 100% light speed. 
uh, the speed of an electromagnetic wave. So uh-huh. they're getting these messages that are taking years to get there from the people that sent them, but the messages will catch up to them before they make it to their destination. And the crews will be uh, locked up in cryogenic suspension, waiting to get the message that they've run into another armada or that they've made it to their mining site for centuries while they're on these chips. Hmm. All right, so you're limiting it to physical science, but you, you haven't dropped in any quantum physics or anything like that. I'm going to split up the additions based on the timeline of the fictional world. Right. So edition one, it's when they've they've launched into space, they've set up these corporations, oh. they're working on how to figure out how to economically recover matter, and uh, the matter configuration technology, it's a sci-fi gadget, it lets them take raw matter of mixed elements and convert it into the shape that they want to make their spaceships, but osmium's right. destroyed in the process. So they're fighting over this osmium, they've got their basic ships worked out and how to recover it, and then in addition to it's when stuff's going to get crazy. That's where a lot of the, the future tech and the stuff that our science doesn't yet describe comes in. We're going to have black holes and quantum technology and people that have evolved to be speciated fully so they're no longer humans, right. all that kind of stuff. I think if I get a PhD, man, I, I think I'm going to get one in quantum physics, celestial string theory or something like that, chaos theory or something. Nice, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I guys that were into that when I was in a college. I was a computational geophysicist, and there were some space guys around the lab. And yeah, that quantum physics stuff is awesome. Yeah, but mine's gonna be fake though. It's just, it's just, it's just gonna be honorable. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's just gonna be honorable, man. Now, come on. <laughs> yeah, if you can get an honorable doctorate, it's way better than trying to stick around for PhD. Right. See, you're the real deal, man. I'm, I'm just, I'm just playing around, man. You're the real deal. Computational physics and all the mathematics and all that, dude. I'm, ha- I'm proud of you, man. You can do stuff like that with your mind, man. I, I wish I was, um. I wish I was stable enough to be able to do stuff. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's not where my work ended up anyway. It's, uh, yeah, it was fun. It was cool to think about, but it ended up being profitable. So I had to go and do odd jobs. Now I'm trying to do some other stuff that I love. What brought you to game design? Okay, I, I guess you said it was a hobby or something, but, but it's like an infinite amount of game designers now. I mean, when I was a kid, I met a family that had a game called Wild Nines or something. And I once pitched it to the bicycle card playing company or something, you know, and I, yeah. I was like 12 or 13 or something, but they sent me a letter. But it's like now it's totally different. It's, you're not pitching games to anyone except for the crowd. Yeah. And so, I mean, how's that make you feel? I mean, how do you even do that? Because I, I, like I said, I went as far as contacting a company, but I never thought about, well, I was 12, but I, I never thought about launching it on my own. In this day and age, you can get the printing done as long as you have the digital stuff together. It's all about computers for making the price come down, which is why it's relatively easy, especially compared to any time in the past, to make your own game and get it in print at really high professional quality. The hardest thing now, even harder than the production, at least from my perspective, is the marketing and the business because it's so easy for everybody to get in. It's easy to get kind of lost in the sea of stuff that's coming out. I understand that. I'm, I'm doing the whole marketing and promotions thing myself, you know, trying to differentiate myself from other people somehow. You know, you think that your name being DJ Grandpa would be enough. <laughs> yeah, I love that name. And, you know, I read your comment section. One of those comments was talking about, like, just multitudes of decks for X amount of price. I mean, was that true? Is is that true? Yeah, our price point's lower than a lot of comparable games, especially the ones you'd be getting from a big studio. We can start you off at 35 bucks with a beginner's box. 
right. which is probably the biggest discount on stuff of all. It's got a print copy of the rule book and two full armadas to play with. On one side, you got the United Coalition of Federated Planets. Right. And now these guys, they're from the merger of an Earth government, two defense contractors, and a soft drink manufacturer. <laughs> uh, they're the first guys up into space, and they're the first guys to arm their ships. So they kind of started the whole space war. And they're bringing a cruiser as well as a frigate and a wing of three fighters. And then on the mm-hmm. other side, you got Inotech following their motto, designing the future. Inotech, a computer, software, and hardware developer, decides to be the second into space. So they're right on the heels of the UCFP getting ready to <laughs> hack their ships and stuff. Dude, you sure you're not like, um, you sure you don't have like a problem with reality or something? Because you seem to really be into this like it's real to you or something. I love writing stories, and <laughs> I love coming up with all the the why, you know, not just the what, not right. just what are you going to be doing in the game, but also why are you motivated to do it, and why are these fictional guys on these fictional ships motivated to be shooting each other, and just thinking out from there until you have a whole kind of living world is something that I feel really brings the game together and keeps everything making sense, but also gives you somewhere to work off of for the game mechanics. Because DJ Grandpa, he has a real problem with the reality, man, so I can kind of spot it in another person. <laughs> yeah, I do spend a lot of time in my head. Now, you're not going to go broke now with all these big deals, these big sales, and so many card decks for X amount of price point. No, no. Um, every tier is around 65% cost, and the reason that we set the funding goal where it's at is because that's going to cover all of the overhead. So that's enough to get us into print with a little bit for me to take home. Everything after that, I keep increasing the size of the first edition with the stretch goals. It's good to talk to someone who's having a good time with what they're doing. Yeah, and, I'm loving it. I got yeah. these, uh, these big spreadsheets set up ahead of time that let me get it, my head around everything. So for the game design, it's it's you got all these spreadsheets about all the possible outcomes from people playing each other to get your game balance right. Make sure that that one thing is dealing seven damage. Maybe we got to bring that down to six. And you can project all that. And then right. did the same thing with the cost to see uh, where to take it with the business. And a lot more experience on the business end um, in some respects. Right. Worked as a CFO for a while. Yeah, but the combination of the like computer background with the physics and then some background in finance and then my entire life playing games, I think I got a pretty good handle on where the numbers are going in all those areas. For anyone out there, go check out Armada. It's on Kickstarter, A-R-M-A-D-A. And if you can't find it there, go to djgrandpa.com and we'll have links for Matthew and his wife. I probably, I should get a name, shouldn't I? I shouldn't just say his, his wife. Daria. For Daria. And it looks like a super cool game. Check out the graphics. I was totally flown by that. Matthew, thank you very much for coming on the show, man. It's been a pleasure and a lot of fun. Great, thanks so much for having me. Remember, we are the crowdfunding channel, and we cover the globe. Welcome to the crib, and welcome to the first edition of the Poetry Crib. Roy, welcome to the show. Thank you. A little closer. (laughs) Thank you. Okay, what's the title of your book? It's called Elected. Well, that's a perfect DC title. It is. It does have that a little bit, except the government in the book is kind of born out of requirements based on like an eco-crisis that happened in the year 2100. So the government has actually ends up being the 17 year old girls taking it over. So she's learning how to... No, 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 no. 
Yeah. Now, now, you just can't start with that and just ramble on. Man. Come on, come on. Let, let's stop playing here. A 17-year-old girl takes over the government. You can't even get elected until after you're over 50 or something. So, not I mean, in the future. In the future, like people die earlier because of the eco crisis and that so much radiation from uh, global warming. Uh, that like people only live into their 30s and 40s. So by the time you get to be 18, like her family is in power for 100 years, and every 18 years they turn it over to the next one in the family. Wow, it's like the Bush administration, yeah. the Bush family. <laughs> okay, all right. I got you. What's happened before will happen again. How can it be? How does something like this happen? Well, if you think back in the day, you know, 18-year-olds, she's about ready to be 18 in the book. It's two weeks before she takes over the presidential role when she turns 18. That's where the book starts. If you think back to like olden times, people's lifespans weren't that long. And when you were 18, you were in charge of things. And people were having kids at that age. Okay, is she a good president then? Is she a wise, noble, good president? Well, first of all, she's, she's not really supposed to be the president because the eco-crisis created these four accords. And one of them says that women can't be in the elected position because they're supposed to focus on childbirth. Whether we, right now, as a population, agree with that or don't, in the future, in this imaginary future, that they came up with this rule because they were trying to recreate the population. They said that was the most important. And the female leaders back in 2100 created this eco accord that said only the men could rule because women had to do the most important thing, which was make babies. So her family, the boy that was supposed to take over the elected position, he runs away and we never find out why until the third book. This the is Kickstarter is just for the first it's book? It's just the first one. Okay, alright. So she has to pretend to be a boy to take over. And so she's constantly questioning herself and wondering if anyone's going to see through that. Right. And wondering if she has what it takes to be the president. Well, I mean, she's kind of in the closet, so that's kind of hard. I mean, either way you do it, metaphorically, that, that would be a hard road to hold. And you thought of this. You didn't plagiarize any of this. No. I mean, I mean, you're a very creative person, and this is all out of your mind. I was on maternity leave with my first child, and I woke up one morning, and I just had the entire story, the all three books in my head, and I wrote them down really fast on a notepad I kept in the nightstand, and then just started writing the first book. And how long has it taken you to get from that flash to this first book? I know you've had a long, twisted road from your video now. It has been dystopic for you. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes. So it took me about a year to finish the first draft of Elected, and then about six months to find an agent, and then I was with a publisher for about a year and a few months, and a, right when my book was supposed to get published, a month before, the publisher closed the doors and went out of business. And that's when I found Silence in the Library, yeah! Wow, a knight in shining armor. Yeah. That may be gender bias, but I don't care at this point. They saved your book. They did, they really did. I had so many things set up, ready to go for the book's launch, like the launch party and the blog tour was all set up with like a hundred different bloggers and these famous authors were having quotes in the front cover and I didn't want to throw all that away. Right. So it was awesome that they came in and kept things on the same timetable. Was this like one of those nepotism type things? I mean like you actually knew someone at Silence in the Libraries and you're like, dude, put me on. I, mean, I was right at the launch gate. I was about to be famous. They, they cut me at the knees. I mean, was it one of those stories, you know? Not exactly. What happened was 
Janine, who is part of Silence in the Library, she yeah. was one of the authors, one of the best-selling authors who was providing a quote for my cover. Oh. And when my book was not going to get published, I called her and the other three authors to just let them know that their quote would not be out there in the world. And you were crying. You were crying at I was really upset, yeah. 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 So when I told her that, I was just trying to, as a courtesy, let her know. And I told her like, everything was ready to go, and it was such a hard thing for me to deal with, and a travesty, and blah, blah, blah. Right. And she said, well, actually, I'm involved with a publisher. Would you think about that? And that's that night, I was talking to them about it for an hour on the phone, and they were awesome. Was it like the deal I told you about earlier when I was like, it's a deal? <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, it was fast. It happened within like three or four hours from our right. first conversation about it. That's fast, but you were in a dystopic land and you needed a light at the end of the tunnel. And I knew her, like I knew she was a good person. I love so. Janine, she, she's super cool. Mm -hmm. super cool. I try to give her a hard time because she's Janine, but, <laughs> but she's super cool. Yeah, she is. And the whole Silence Library crew. And, right. Yeah. Rory Shea. Mm. Now, that's a cool name. Thanks. That's a cool name, Rory Shea. Um, the book elected, dystopic novel, 17-year-old president. I'm thinking there has to be a lot of calamity in that. <laughs> you are the first guest on the Poetry Crit. I'm bringing it back, the segment to the show, because I miss it so very much. And you're not a, you know, you're not a quote-unquote poet reading poems or whatever, but the gist behind it is, if you do it right, it's all poetry. So, I mean, do you have any a passage or something? Yeah. I'm looking at the cover because I love graphics. Okay, the, the cover looks um, looks like things are pretty mixed up. And you kind of can't tell if she's a boy or a girl. I mean, it right. sort of leans to a girl side, but if you if you just saw it on the shelf, you might not know right away. I didn't know. What sort of passages do you have? Now, remember, we are pretty much G-rated. So yeah. <laughs> can only go but so far. I'm gonna read the passage where she's meeting. Griffin for the first time because it's my favorite scene in the entire book. Okay. As my hands trace the flat, smooth skin of my stomach, I think, yes, I am different. I'm a girl, and I shouldn't be in office at all. No one has said they suspect my gender, but perhaps they can just tell I have no business taking this leadership role. Maybe unconsciously they know I'm not fit to rule the country. Even with all my training, I don't have my father's authority. Tomlin says it's something that can be learned, but I'm just not so sure about that. I've tried to master it for years, and I still doubt myself. I fall into a fitful sleep, but when I hear a noise in my room, it jars me awake. The mid-morning sun is high in the sky, which must mean I slept straight through to the next day. I don't make a movement, trying to assess the sound. It's footsteps, coming from across my bedroom near the window. I expect to see my mother or a maid, but the figure is a man. It's too slender to be my father and too tall to be Tomlin. My hand instinctively juts out from under my bed covers and finds the small whittling knife on my nightstand. I use it merely to carve wood, but it's the closest weapon I have. I close my fist around its small handle, ready to plunge it into my attacker should he step forward. I lie in wait at the defense, but then I think if he has a weapon, he could strike me from afar. So I gently lift the sheets off my body and step out of bed, now on the offensive. His back is to me, and since my footsteps are light as a feather, he doesn't turn. I wonder why the guards at my door didn't stop him, but I have little time to ponder because I'm now inches from the man's back. He still doesn't move. He's got something in his hands at waist level, maybe an intricate weapon, one he's getting ready to use. I lift the knife higher in the air, ready to advance on him. 
When the thing in the man's hand lets out a loud squawk, I falter for a second, the tip of my foot catching against a raised floorboard, and it's in that brief moment the man hears me and abruptly turns. Hey! Are you excited about this book, or are you like the singer who has heard his or her voice so many times in this song, so many times that I hate this song? Can we move on to the next album? Sometimes I'm just sitting around my house and I pick it up and I read passages and I can't believe I wrote this and I'm excited every single time. It makes me want to keep reading and I already know what happens because I wrote it. <laughs> I already know. Uh, you have a problem with reality. Then. Yeah, <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> no problem with it. Okay, okay. Well, what about this thing? Anyone who's on the show is pretty much always asking for your help during crowdfunding, so let's take that for granted. But I'm not trying to discourage the vote, so go check her out. She's, she's doing okay, but she still needs your help. I'm glad to have you on the Poetry Crib, because like I said, if you do it right, it's all poetry. <laughs> Is there anything you'd like to say to your back? Yes, definitely, because if it weren't for them, we would have no print copies. It would just be an e-copy, which is cool of an, in and of itself, but I would love it to get out to as many people as possible, and being able to do it in print and hard copy for this Kickstarter means the absolute world to me, and I'm always surprised when the number of the backers goes up by one. I can't believe it, and I thank you so so much. I would say that's nice of her, but she's still getting the money, <laughs> so... It's going towards printing. I'm not trying to say you're lining your pockets. I'm just right, trying right. to say you're getting your Kickstarter dream, and that is very cool. That is very cool. Right, and for anybody out there, it's the book, Elected, on Kickstarter. We're at the zoo right now with Rory Shade, the author. And it is super cool to be here. And I, I'm sure you guys can hear the enthusiasm of the people in the background, which are drowning me out, by the way. And maybe I don't appreciate it as much as I sound as well. Anyway, but you get the point. And if you can't find Rory Shea and Elected on Kickstarter, please go to djgrandpa.com, where we'll always have links for Silence in the Library and for their latest star, their upcoming star, the one who has the book about a female. Well, I don't want to do a spoiler alert, but Rory Shea, thank you very much for coming on the crib. Thank you so much, DJ Grandpa. It was so much fun doing this with you. <laughs> I know I go on too much, but... <laughs> yeah, I, uh... Hey Kickstarters, I'm Ryan. I'm Clayton. We're Overworld Games, and this is Good Cop, Bad Cop. Good Cop, Bad Cop is a hidden identity and deduction game where you're a cop, and you're either an honest cop or you're a crooked cop. And if you're honest, you're looking for the leader of the crooked team, and they're the kingpin. You needed to take them out. If you are crooked, then you're looking for the leader of the honest team. They're the agent, and you need to take them out. It's really as simple as that. Uh, this game is hey, this is Brian. Hey, how's it going, Brian? Good. Hello. Uh-oh. That was you, Brian. That wasn't Clayton who answered that time. No, yeah, Clayton was in there, too. Yeah. Yep, I'm here. Welcome to DJ Grandpa's Crib, man. It's good to hear from you, too, man. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, yeah. thanks a lot. Let's get into this whole internal affairs thing of the police department. I'm liking this game. Good cop, bad cop. You want us to just talk about, give you a little kind of high level, or you kind of know what it's about? No one who's listening knows what it's about, so why don't you tell us a little bit about the game? 
I can do that. Who am I talking to? This is Brian. Tell us a little bit about the game. It's a hidden identity and deduction game. There's quite a few of them out there. Uh, the Resistance or Coup or One Night Ultimate Werewolf or I know, but I only care about yours right now. All right. <laughs> Those are kind of some that have come before us that are a little bit similar, but one component of a lot of those games is that you have to lie. Right. And you have to say, you know, hide what your identity is. But with Good Cop, Bad Cop, you do not have to do that at all because you're completely in control of who you investigate and the the information that you you find out about someone. Right. You're an honest cop or you're a crooked cop, and you are trying to find the leader of the opposing team. So it's um, two teams. Uh, the leader of the, the crooked cops is the kingpin. Leader of the honest cops is the agent. So if you're honest, you're looking to find that kingpin and, and take them out. So there's a few guns in the middle of the table, and you can <laughs> grab a gun, point it at someone, and, uh, and shoot. And hopefully it's uh, someone on the opposing team. If you've investigated enough and figured that out, and uh, even better, hopefully it's the leader of the opposing team. It's just not violent, though. It's supposed to be fun, though, right? That is true. There is, um, it is full <laughs> of social interaction. Yes. Okay. All right. All right. Because you're like, there, there are guns in the middle of the table. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. What if I am internal affairs and, you know, I'm investigating? I guess if I'm internal affairs, I'm on the good cop side. And what if I shoot the wrong man or woman? You know, what if I think this person is a dirty cop and I take the shot? Yeah, it's a risk. And if you get shot and you're not a leader, you're out of the game. So there's player elimination, but the game is so quick that you don't feel too bad about it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But you're also really invested still in the outcome of the game, because if you're an honest cop and you get shot, you know, you're out. But if your team wins, if the honest team still still wins the game, then you win too. What if you're a good cop and I'm a good cop and I shoot you because I think you're a bad cop? Can that scenario happen? It's a lot of fun when that happens too. And (laughs) and I think, yeah. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) It's hilarious. Everybody reacts to that. And it really gets everyone going when something like that happens. And the game is short enough, too, that it's not something where, oh, you accidentally shot me and now I have to wait an hour to play the next game. Right. You know, it's a 10, 20 minute game. So it really is actually a lot of fun when somebody makes that kind of mistake. Mm, I'm thinking I'm holding a grudge. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm yeah, and it's cool because you you find out right away if somebody gets shot, they flip over all of their integrity cards so everybody knows who they are. And usually you can tell by the reaction on the face of the person who shot them, you know, whether or not they made the right decision. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it is it is a lot of fun. And And what's really cool is that we get to see, you know, like, Everybody who plays the game, they have this information that they keep to themselves. And, right. you know, they want to tell someone, but they don't know who to tell it to. So they a lot of times will just kind of keep it to themselves. And, you know, it's that that risk, too, that kind of brings some intensity to the game and makes those decisions, like, feel so much more important. Um, they are really important if you want to win the game. <laughs> you know, the game ends and everybody just kind of lets it all out and there's just huge like burst of conversation and that's my favorite part of the game to see that to see everybody just finally they're finally able to talk and 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 explain why they made each made each decision that they made you said it was a simple game but why does it sound like so much fun the rules are really simple but everything happens outside of those rules you know 
things you take into the game, people you know really well or don't know at all. And all of that kind of plays into it in, you know, who you investigate and, and who you don't and who you share information with. And it's so cool to see everything happen outside of those rules. And it's something that Clayton and I, it's important to us in the games we play and in the games we publish too, to have that kind of meta game, you know, that game right. outside of the game that, you know, that just makes it so much better than just the rules that you're, you're reading and playing by. While I'm looking at you guys, for lack of a better phrase, mugshots, Clayton looks like a bad cop, and, and Brian <laughs> looks like a good cop. Maybe that's just me putting my own stereotypes on people, but... <laughs> if anything, it's the exact opposite, but... <laughs> I guess I'm just going by stereotypes. and You know, you can go by them, but you can't live by them, or everybody looks stupid, so... <laughs> Yeah, you'd be taking down the wrong cop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just had to get that out there, man, because I'm looking at your pictures and I'm like, hmm, man, I would have <laughs> shot the wrong guy. <laughs> that makes me wonder if I need to reconsider my picture. <laughs> I don't think I've ever had an interview where I talked about the game, like almost the entire interview. Because usually I get sidetracked or I, you know, la la la, walk off, talk about other things. But you guys like just kept me like just in the game the whole time. And I hope the game is this immersive, man, where I'm just stuck there <laughs> playing it and having a good time, man. Because this sounds like a lot of fun, man. And I sure could use some fun right about now. <laughs> We have a company, Overworld Games, that we care a lot about, but it's only as good as the games that we're able to publish and come up with. And that's what we care about. Uh, right. We'll keep publishing games as long as we can come up with some or, you know, find designers who can who can create games that, that we think people will love and have that, that engagement between the players, too. That's right. what's really important to us. Too. All right. Well, that's cool. Yeah, that social man. interaction. It's going to be a part of every game that we publish. And now, Clayton, you concur? Absolutely. And uh, the game really is immersive. I mean, one of the things that really got us excited was when we started playtesting and every group that we playtested with, we would play once and right away, as soon as the game's over, they would want to play again. There's really no more positive feedback than that. I hope that you guys stick together, man, and keep this whole good cop, bad cop, eternal affairs scenario going, man, because I, I think you guys got something there. And for anyone out there on Kickstarter, go check out overworld games on kickstarter but really it's easy to find it by looking up good cop bad cop and if you can't find it there which i believe you will on kickstarter always go to djgrandpa.com and we'll have links for brian and clayton dude like i said we're gonna try and have as much fun as possible because i mean to me that that's all that's that's really all i have left man so <laughs> all right thanks dj no problem man I, thanks guys, a lot i kind of needed to talk to you guys man so you guys have brightened up my day man right back at you I'd like to thank all our guests. I'd also like to thank our listeners. Each week, we couldn't do it without you guys. A special thanks goes out to Trevor Williams and to my mentor, The Mumbler, for providing music to DJ Grandpa's crib. Thanks to Jeffrey Banks, Bertram Zeke, and Zach Samal, our assistant editors. Until next week, so say we all. 
The homepage for DJ Grandpa's crib is djgrandpa.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter, DJ Grandpa's Crib, all one word. Please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, which helps other people discover the show. And don't forget to leave a comment while you're there. Our producer is Von Rupert. The executive producer of this and all Bedrock Communications podcasts is A.F. Rupert. Thank you.